Hi guys, you guys know how much of a Steeler fan I am, and I have had the privilege to interview several Steelers over the last couple of years. Uh, Rod Woodson, uh, Donnie Shell, Ernie Holmes, just to name a few. Tonight is, is a little different for me. It's, it's really exciting for me because I've, I've got a guy that I've interviewed before on here, but he's also joined by one of his teammates, a guy he played side-by-side side with for, for a few seasons on, on the Blitzburg defense of the 90s. And, man, what two, two great legendary linebackers for the Steelers that they had back then uh, that played alongside Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green. I'm talking about none other than the legendary – Linebackers, Mr. Levon Kirkland and Mr. Chad Brown. Okay, guys, welcome to the show, guys. Well, thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you both for being here. Like I said, I'm gonna try not to fanboy out too much because I I told my wife <laughs> I, I told my wife a few minutes ago. Well, earlier today, I said, you know, I, I looked at the clock. And it was like two o'clock. I said, well, I got six hours, and uh, she's like, I know you're excited about it. I've got my and actually. If you watch a live, I did a live video a few minutes ago. I've got my Levon Kirkland Steeler jersey on. I don't have a Chad Brown one yet. It's hard to find a Chad Brown Steeler jersey for some reason, you know, because uh, I'll have to work on that though. But uh, guys, growing up, I know you guys are close to the same age. I, I think uh, growing up, who did you guys pull for? Who were the teams that you pulled for when you were uh, a kid growing up? Well, I'll go first. Um, Levon Kirkland here. I was a big Dallas Cowboys fan. Oh, wow. That's not, that seems kind of odd, but I was a Cowboys fan. But you have to think back in that day, you only saw certain teams. There was no, there were no teams right. in South Carolina. And Dallas came on TV a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, almost every Sunday. And so... That was kind of in their heyday, too. The Doomsday defense, Roger Staubach, Drew Pearson, Drew Hill, Tony Dorsett, so, and Tom Landry. So, as a young kid in South Carolina, that was the team I saw the most. So, I kind of joined that bandwagon and followed the Cowboys. Right. What about you, Mr. Brown? So, for me, so for me uh, very similar. Uh, growing up in Southern California, but at the same time, the Cowboys were, you know, the team that always seemed to be on Monday night and all that stuff. So uh, when I wrote down my Christmas list of <laughs> things I wanted, uh, me and my best friend, uh, he got a Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, Sears football uniform, and I got a <laughs> Dallas Cowboys Pittsburgh uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, Christmas uniform. So. Yeah, we wore those in the front yard and, and played one-on-one football against each other, and I still have that picture. And it just cracks me up that, of course, you know, fast forward, you know, 15, 20 years, and now I'm actually playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> you, you're going to think you know, I have a, I have a, I have a story about that. My father, who, who, didn't play, who didn't really follow football that much, he got me a Christmas gift. And my sisters, I have three older sisters, and they teased me the whole time, letting me know that you're going to hate your gift. You're going to hate your gift. And so I'm like, what did my father bring me that I'm going to hate on Christmas? Because normally he did a great job of getting this Christmas gift. And so when Christmas came, I opened my gift. It was a Pittsburgh Steelers PJ set. <laughs> That's all. And I absolutely hated that gift. <laughs> but they're new PJs, so I had to wear them around for a while. 
but I hated it. My sisters, my father didn't have a clue what team I liked. He knew I loved football, and so he thought, hey, there's a Pittsburgh Steelers. I get those guys. And it's so funny that I end up in for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and you're going to think I'm joking, but you're talking about that Sears uh, uniform. I still have the Steelers helmet, and I still have the Steelers jersey. My daughter wore it for Halloween one year, probably about 10 years ago, but I still have it sitting in my office right now. That thing has got, you know, it's it's still it's got that funky padding in in it, but and it's still intact. But it it's still there. I still have both of them. I had a I had a Jack Ham the Jack Ham number two. Uh, but yeah, I had that and I had wow. the, I had the steel. I don't know if you remember the Steelers locker. They had the little lockers, mini lockers. Yeah, I have oh, one. Wow. Yeah, I, didn't know. I yeah. had one of those too. So, what other sports did you guys play in high school besides football? Okay. Um. I played, I actually played basketball and I ran track. Right. In track, I ran the 400 uh, mile relay and I high jumped. So I actually made it to state for a high jump in track. And in basketball, you know, you know it, it was such a small town that we all, if you play football, you basically play basketball. So I played basketball. I actually started on the basketball team. I'm a rebound guy, put back in guy. Defender. That what I, that's what I was. But I always think that playing those different sports actually helped me out as right. I went to Clemson and also with Pittsburgh. All right. Uh, for me, um, I grew up did a little bit of everything. Uh, one one summer I, I swam. Uh, I gave a couple of shots to baseball. Um, if I made contact, it went really far. But uh, the <laughs> frequency of me making contact wasn't very high. <laughs> um, in my high school, the track coach was the football coach, so you had to do both. Uh, yeah. I ran the 330 low hurdles. I threw the shot. Um, but mainly, uh, most of my life, I, I've been a football guy. And as a, you know, growing up, I did a little bit of basketball and baseball, Pony League and uh, Babe Ruth and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was the only constant, I suppose, was always football. There was always going to be football in the fall for Chad Brown. Right. When... When did you know that football was going to be what took you to the next level? I mean, did you have a moment that you said, okay, I, this is what's going to take me to college or, or even further? Well, like for me, I I just reminisce playing in the backyard, or the front yard of my parents' home, and I remember just throwing down the ball and saying, I'm going to play pro ball. I caught it and I just told myself out loud, to the universe that I was going to play pro ball. But I didn't really start playing organized football until I got to the ninth grade. And when I got to the 10th grade, my varsity coach had me in a meeting because I missed a couple practices. And after he finished scolding me and telling me I wasn't going to play in the Jamboree, he also told me that he thought I had the talent to go to the next level. And um, I actually ended up going to Clemson University. And I just remember working out one day. And one of the coaches, I was a, I was a freshman. I got red-shirted. And one of the GAs came up to me. He's like, I tell you what, man, you keep working like you're working. You're going to be one of the best linebackers ever played here. And I just believed him. I was like, okay, cool. I'll be one of the best linebackers ever played here. <laughs> and... That's, you know, it was really only my sophomore year. After my sophomore year, 
I won the MVP for the Gator Bowl, and I'm like, okay, I really got a shot at it. Uh-huh. That's when I, I knew, like, I got a shot at it. But I made that declaration and, uh, when I was 11 years old that I was going to play football. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in a really, you know, sporty neighborhood. Uh, my high school, you know, produces four or five scholarship guys every year. Um, so my goal, you know, was just somehow to be as good as those guys. You know, my older brother and my older sister went to the same high school that I went to. And, you know, looking at their yearbooks and thinking, you know, maybe one day I'll be good enough to wear that varsity uniform at John Muir High School. <laughs> Maybe I'll be good enough to do that. So I didn't have the uh, confidence that my guy Levon had at 11 years old. <laughs> uh, you know, make the high school varsity team. Uh, but then I, I got to campus and I, and I realized, okay, I can I can play with these guys. And uh, it was halfway through my sophomore year that the varsity coach took my parents out to dinner at uh, Bob's Big Boy, so I'll certainly date me in the time frame. Right. And, uh, <laughs> went to, he took him to dinner, and he said, hey, Chad has an excellent shot of getting a scholarship. You focus on his behavior away from football. You help him take care of his grades. I'll take care of the football part. Uh, my parents kept that conversation a secret from me for <laughs> over a year. Um I don't think because they, they doubted my coach's words or they didn't think I'd be able to pull it off. Um, I, I think they wanted to see, you know, where my heart was. Um, and at that point, I started to achieve some success in the football field. So then I realized, you know, this can actually happen for me. And then on the college level, at the University of Colorado, when uh, I, I finally thought I can play at a level that will allow me to be in the NFL, was after my sophomore year, we played uh, the Notre Dame mm-hmm. in the Orange Bowl, and I had a tremendous game there. And I thought, I mean, most of these guys who are playing on the field tonight are going to be in the NFL. And I was one of the best players on this field tonight. So uh, not only did we win the national championship, but I walked back into that locker room thinking, it's going to happen for me. <laughs> this, is, this is actually going to happen for me. And how crazy is that? Yeah. yeah. So. That's scholarships start coming or the letters start coming in. What what schools besides Colorado or Clemson were in the mix for for you two? Would start with you, Mr. Kirk. What school besides Clemson was in the mix for you? Well, you know, I wasn't really highly recruited because I came from a one A school. So, and you got to realize back then, at least in South Carolina, there wasn't a lot of recruiting services. Right. Uh, even though Clemson is only like maybe three and a half hours away, it, it might as well have been a lifetime away. <laughs> and so you only really got recognized from your local high school or your local television station. So I didn't really get recruited. I had the only school that really You still there? The, uh, I'm still here. Yeah, you, you're breaking up a little bit on me. Okay, am I okay now? Yeah, you're good now. Yeah, you're good now. Okay, sorry about that. That's um, all right. So South, so South Carolina also recruited me, and they basically discovered me. I was playing in a playoff game against uh, another team, and they were actually recruiting two other guys on the team. And I just recall my high school coach coming up to me and saying, hey, there are some recruiters out there. And I was like, okay, that's all I need to know. I had a tremendous game. 
and the next week got a letter from South Carolina, and then a week after that got a letter from Clemson. But Clemson was a better program, and they did a better job of recruiting me. The guy who recruited me actually really kept in contact with me. He treated me like a four- or five-star guy. And when I visited the campus, that was basically it. So and I just knew that I wanted to go to Clemson. But I did not get a whole lot of letters. Only those two schools really recruited me strongly. What about you, Mr. Brown? For me, for me, uh, you know, playing in Southern California, going to a high school that was, you know, well regarded. Uh, I started receiving letters uh, after my sophomore year, um, but for me, uh, my dad really pushed me to leave the state of California. He realized, you know, I had some friends who, you know, weren't on the same path in, in life that, that I was. So while in my mind. I was all about USC and UCLA. Uh, my dad was quietly working this plan that he had to, you know, get me out of the state and get me away from these, these knucklehead friends of mine. <laughs> so one night at dinner, uh, the phone rings. My dad gets up and answers it. Um, gosh, it's by even pre-answer machines back then. Um, <laughs> answers, the, an- yeah, answers the call, and I can hear him, you know, because he's right there because obviously it's a phone on the wall. He's, he's talking. He says, uh-huh. Uh-huh, yep, yep, yep. Like I told you last time, Chad leaving the state and hangs up the phone. I go, Dad, who was that? He says, that was USC. And I go, oh, man, I guess I'm not going to USC. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, while, while, while those schools were certainly important to me, once I, you know, kind of moved on and figured my parents had steered me right for so long in my life, why don't I, you know, kind of trust and lean on their advice? Uh, when you think back to my, my Colorado experience, I'm not sure if you could want more from a college experience. I got a job in my chosen profession. You know, I fell in love with the state. I live here in the state of Colorado. Um, I won four Big 8 titles. I won a national championship. I was, you know, all Big 8 and, and all American. Uh, I met my wife there, and my kids both graduated from there. So, you know. It's about as good as it could have turned out. So thank you, Dad. Wow. Yeah, I think that, I think he knew what he was talking about. You know what, Dad? I had. Hey, you're breaking up again, Mr. Kirkland. Can you hear me now? Yeah, there you go. Yep. Okay, I, I was I was saying that with Chad. I mean, Chad was lucky because my father was like, uh, "You have to make that decision on your own." But my father knew do nothing. About football, <laughs> nothing at all about football. So he made me make the choice myself. So that was kind of I thought it was interesting. Yeah, well, you know, worked out well for you too. So uh, yeah, it worked out great. All right. Yeah, yeah, it worked out great for both of you. So uh, I got to ask you, Mr. Brown, and I, no offense to Mr. Kirkland, what was it like winning a national championship? Though I, I know you guys, you you, you had that. <laughs> You, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No problem. I'm sorry. But winning a national championship in college, Colorado has, you know, you had a great coach there with Bill McCartney. You guys had a great story coming out of there with Sala Nessie the, the previous season and, and dropped the, actually dropped the Orange Bowl game the previous year to Notre Dame and then come back and play them again for the national champ with the national championship on the line. What was it like going out there and getting that win over them after after losing the year before? You know, it's, it's funny how life tends to prepare you for whatever big thing is coming up next. 
you know, so for me, you know, again, growing up in Southern California, I, I played in what I thought was big games. We play our cross-turn rival. John Muir plays our cross-turn rival in the Orange Bowl game called the Turkey Tucker. In some years, there'll be 30,000 people at this game. Of course, it's in the it's in the Rose Bowl, so it looks like it's empty. That's a lot of people for a high school game. And then in the course of playing in the Big 8, you play Oklahoma and you play Nebraska. So, you know, those kind of moments, you're getting used to those kind of moments. And then as you pointed out, the year before, we played Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl, and, and, and we lost. And we had, you know, had such an easy way with our schedule that year before. I don't think we were truly tested. I don't think we were as mentally tough as we were the next year. Um, so, you know, those moments prepared me and prepared my team to be able to go out there and, and do what we did. And that was an incredibly close game. We won by a block extra point yeah. uh, of the guys on Notre Dame's offense and the CU defense. Of the 22 players on the field, I think 21 of them were ended up in the NFL. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Those kinds of, you know, players and that kind of a game, uh, you had to be tested and prepared just to be able to compete at that level. Um, and obviously, you know, winning a national championship is truly incredible. And I have been lucky uh, all my life up to that point. In Pop Warner, I won championships. In high school, I won 32 games in a row and back-to-back championships. So, you know, I've always expected to go out I step on a football field to win because that's what I had done all my life up until that point. So to get revenge against the one team that had knocked my team off uh, was definitely sweet. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that was your favorite college memory. What about you, Mr. Kirkland? What would, I, mean, I think I know you talked about the Gator Bowl. Your favorite college memory? Well, it, it had to be the Gator Bowl because we were playing at the time Major Harris. West and Virginia, Major yeah. Harris, yeah, West Virginia, Major Harris were, he was that dual quarterback before they were really what they call dual quarterbacks. He could, he, he could escape out of trouble. He can throw the ball. He was a tremendous, tremendous athlete. And so when we played them, you know, really, Nobody really talked about our defense, and we had we had a really good defense in the top, you know, categories. Almost every defensive, uh, every defensive category. So, West Virginia. The funny thing was, I go to this banquet. This is just a meal from my school in St. James, West Virginia, and I see the Gannibal Trophy. I'm like, man, trophy, never the deal. And we go out there, and the first time, Harris, throws, he throws, throws it all down. He scores a touchdown. Yeah, I lost you again on that one. Hello? There you go. There you go. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, um... <laughs> we- you know, I ended up getting the first sack on Major Harris because I played outside linebacker then. And then I made him fumble the ball. I mean, I, I gave him, like, the biggest hit he probably ever had. And ended up winning that at just being a sophomore was tremendous. It really was. I'm, I'm from this small town, not highly recruited. And being able to win that award, you know, of a certain, some other really talented players on our team was really big for me. We always had good teams at Clemson, but we just could never get on the top. We were always, we ended up always losing two games every year. 
but uh, along with running down the hill, that Gator Bowl is probably the best experience that I had in college. Yeah, running down the hill, I, I can tell you, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't dislike Clemson. I'm not much of a Clemson fan. I, I'll pull for them, you know, when they're playing uh, in, in the playoffs like the same they do every year. But that running down the hill is, uh, that, that will give a regular guy like me some chill bumps. When I when you see that, I can't imagine doing that though. Being able to do that though, uh, it's it's tremendous, man. I, I, it never gets old. That's the one thing about it. It never got old, and the people love it. And it's it's a lot of drama behind it. You're driving from the west the west side to the east side of the stadium, and you're you know you're rubbing that rock, man. Those people go crazy. So rubbing the rock was always a great experience, also for me. And I love that I had a chance to do it and love that I was fortunate enough to play for Clemson University. Right. So, draft time comes along. How many, what teams were in contact with you guys? Were there, were there, I'm sure Pittsburgh, of course, was in contact with you. What other teams were in contact with you saying they, they may take you in the draft? Well, um, my mother's best friend lives in San Francisco, so she called my mom and said, Guys on the front page of the paper out here in San Francisco, <laughs> they, they said they might take him in the you know the first round of the draft. Um, and I flew out before the draft to Pittsburgh and to Dallas. Um, oh. And I remember the Dallas Cowboys defensive line coach saying, saying to me, "You know, Chad, if you had lifted a, a weight, a single weight in the time you were in college, because you know <laughs> I was not a big, thick, powerful, you know, built linebacker. I was." Small and thin, and you know, uh, wasn't uh, hadn't gained my, my my eventual pro weight by that point. We'd probably be taking you in the first round. So, um, long story short, um, neither one of those teams take me. But the morning of the draft, after I get off the phone with my mom, the phone rings, and it's Bill Coward. And he says, "Chad, you know, we love having you out uh, for your pre-draft visit, but we just signed." Kevin Green to play outside linebacker. Can you play inside linebacker? And I said, hell, coach, if you want me to, I can put. So, so yeah, eventually they ended up taking me in the second round of the 44th pick that year, which was great for me because 44 was my high school number. What about you, Mr. Kirkland? You know, it's it's similar to Chaz. I was... I, I traveled to Dallas and I traveled to Pittsburgh. But you have to know that, you know, I never played inside linebacker before in my entire life. <laughs> but when I went to the Senior Bowl, Art Shell, who was with the Raiders at the time, basically told me, hey, we want to see you at inside linebacker. And I'm like, oh, my God, my draft stock is going to just drop. Because <laughs> I was sliding to go first round as an outside backer or, you know, somewhere along that. But people saw me as an inside linebacker. So at the Senior Bowl that year, I actually had a, a great practice. I was just uh, I was just going to the ball. I had no idea what I was doing at inside backer or middle backer. And uh, my draft story is <laughs> Pittsburgh, I was, waiting, I was at my sister's home, and I remember the – I didn't think I was going to go in the first round because I felt like, okay, my position is going to change. But I should go in the second round. I thought I was good enough to go in the second round. 
And I remember going to the bathroom before the Pittsburgh Steelers pick and was like, they're going to pick me, they're going to pick me, they're going to pick me. I go to the kitchen, I sit by the table, the phone rings. I pick up the I pick up the phone and Chad remembers a guy named Charles Bailey who was our uh, who was our um, who was a pro scout at the time and he he calls me he's like oh, Kirkland it, uh, do y'all have cable TV in Lamar South Carolina and I'm like yeah man we got cable TV. He's like, oh, do y'all have ESPN? I'm like, yeah, we got ESPN. He's like, congratulations, man. You're part of the black and gold. I saw my name flash across the ticker. And in those times, ESPN went off. After they they said, we got Levon Kirkland as a 38 pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, guys, that's a, um, the draft is over with. We're going to karate. And <laughs> off. And I'm like, man, you know, my brothers and sisters, they they were going crazy. I was elated. But my father and mother were so cool, man. I'm telling you, they did not have a clue what was going on. But that was my draft story. And I, I went in knowing that I was going to be playing another position that I never played before. And, you know, for you guys to be playing – Inside and never played it for it. You sure couldn't tell it from the way you guys did it. So, <laughs> trust me, me and Chad know. <laughs> first, first yeah, and me, per- go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, lucky for Marvin Lewis and his uh, inordinate amount of patience, because me and Levon were on the struggle bus for quite a while. There was quite some time. <laughs> so what? Yeah. What was your first impressions for both of you at Pittsburgh? You know, for me, I'm I'm from a small. I, I'm, I'm from South Carolina. I, you know, I went I'm from a small town. Clemson is, you know, Clemson is a nice size university, but still located in a smaller town. I remember leaving from the airport, and this was an old airport. It wasn't the one that they have now. And I remember just going through Fort Pitt Tunnel. And I remember once you get through the tunnel and you see the skyline of the city. And I was like, oh, yeah, I I like it. (laughs) And then, you know, once we got settled, man, Pittsburgh to me was a great place to play football. It wasn't wasn't as distracting as maybe some other cities would have been. But the football base there, the fans there, they were tremendous. And it was all about, and it was all about defense too. So if you play defense, yeah. man, unlike other places that focus on offense, playing defense at Pittsburgh was a priority. So I really enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't always like the cold weather, but <laughs> you know, there was enough for me to do. I really had a good experience at Pittsburgh. All right. Uh, for, for me, you know, I, I think back to that uh, that first mini camp, man. At that time, the, the Steelers would take all the draft picks and all the new guys to the team and take them to the, the Steelers hotel. And, you know, there was a little bit of an introduction to the Steelers. Mr. Rooney would speak. Uh, then they would show this film, you know, kind of about the tradition of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And part of that film is some of these Hall of Fame speeches. And there's obviously lots of Pittsburgh Steelers in the Hall of Fame. And then as the film is over, 
in come some of those Hall of Famers. Welcome oh, wow. to being a Pittsburgh Steeler. So within that first week of minicamp, you get to experience and feel and see some of that incredible tradition that you are now going to be a part of. So, you know, LeVon pointed out, you know, the, the city of Pittsburgh, it, it's almost impossible to separate the Steelers from the city and the city from the Steelers. is so interwoven into each other. But that, that first introduction to watch those speeches and then meet those guys, you know, at that point, I'm a rookie and I'm just hoping I can make my first training camp. I walked out of that uh, little meeting thinking, I want to be a, a Hall of Famer and I want to be a Pittsburgh Steelers for life. That's what I want. Right. Yes. So you guys both have Bill Cower. First impressions mm-hmm. of Bill Cower. I thought Bill, uh, I thought he was an amazing coach, man. Uh, he was authentic in his enthusiasm. And he was also funny because he was a linebacker. And he was always around the linebackers. <clears throat> so there was a little bit of pressure there. But he was the guy that he did something right. He'll almost be the first guy to meet you uh, at the sideline celebrating with you. Right. And as a young player, you, you enjoy that because you're just fresh out of college and you still kind of got a lot of fire and energy in you. And to see that from your coach was, it was a, a welcome change. You know, everybody talks about how the NFL is kind of, you know, the coaches are, is all about business and all that. He really came across like a guy who really cared about your success. And that was, that was great. And it, it wasn't a lot of, you know, he wasn't demeaning you or anything like that or cursing you out. So it was a really, for me, it was a really nice change of pace because in college it was a lot of rah-rah, a lot of uh, yelling and screaming. I mean, he was he was fired up, but he wasn't putting you down as a football player or a person. And that's what I enjoyed about Bill. And he was, a, to me, as far as professional coaches go, he was a great motivator. Mm-hmm. And he could really motivate you to do, give more and to be the best and I thought what he did was he really believed in practicing hard and how that translated to the field. And with the Steelers, man, you had to practice hard, you know. And if you didn't, he had a problem with you. But if you did, and you did everything you're supposed to do, man, he was a, I thought he was a really good coach. All right. Yeah, some of my thoughts, you know, Mir LeVon, uh, you know, obviously later in my career I played for Mike Holmgren. I played for Bill oh, Belichick. Yeah. Um, and but Bill Cowher in some ways was similar to Coach McCartney in college because both of them understood that football in the end is a is an emotional game, and that emotion doesn't just happen on Sunday and that speech right before you go out on the field. That emotion has to be built up during the week. So he was really good. Uh, Bill Cowher was at building that emotion during the week, and he would you know kind of say something in that meeting on Monday and then referencing again on Wednesday, referencing again on Thursday, and by Friday you're starting to believe what he's laying out there for you. And he's also building up the emotion of it. Um, and that great NFL films clip, I think he thought he's breaking down the kickoff team as they're about to run down the field, and he says, you know, let's go out there and punch him in the mouth first. So it was emotion and it was aggression. Of course, we had X's and O's, we had Dom Capers and Dick LeBeau and, 
the Blitzberg stuff, and we had some complicated things that we did. But at the same time, Bill, more than anything else, I think he wanted you to overwhelm the other team with how hard we played and the emotion that we played with. Um, so things could go wrong and mistakes could be made, but if we played that hard, we could overwhelm people. And we were so good back then. That is what we did. So it was a lot of fun to be with a coach who, you know, he didn't, he wasn't happy when you made a mistake, <laughs> but he was willing to let that go based on how hard you played and how much energy and effort you put into each play. Yeah, did did you guys ever get the chin and the spit? Uh, well, as, <laughs> as Vaughn said, as Vaughn said, you know, Bill spent a lot of time with the linebacker group, so I think he felt like he had a, a special pass in our room that. Yeah, I would say things, and I, I've certainly not only experienced the chin, but when you get the chin, the chin's usually pretty close to you. So there's a lot of spitting that comes yeah. in the conversation. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> you, well, I was a signal caller, and I'm like, you know, I had to go like, you know, we get a timeout or whatever. I had to go over there, and you just get a, you just get a uh, spit full of what he had to say. And I got smart enough where I would turn my head. Even though he was trying to face me, I would always turn. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we, you know, me and Chad, I, and maybe Chad agree with this now, we were projects, you know. We were outside linebackers, and you move inside. And inside linebackers, a little bit more cerebral. Where yeah. outside, you're coming from the edge. And the outside is either coming to you or most likely running away from you or you just rush the pass up from the edge. So to me, it's an easier position. That inside linebacker, I mean, there's a lot going on. And, you know, we had a, you know, we had to cover, we had to do a whole lot of work in there. And we, you know, we had guards coming at us. I mean, Fullback, we were doing counterplay, fullback, everything. And sometimes you had to run up the scene with the tight end. You know, we had to understand, like, combinations, banjo, tango. It was a lot of communication. And when I was at Clemson, we didn't, I didn't, as an outside linebacker, I didn't have to talk that much. Now I'm an inside linebacker. Now i got to understand, you know, and both me and Chad, we had to understand the defense. We were really, but the cool thing was, I think what they thought was, we got two really good athletes, really great athletes, and if we can get them to understand the the inside linebacker position, we got something. Right. Now, if you ran like Chad, if you ran a sweep on us, our lead, you were done. <laughs> but <laughs> if you ran any kind of play action pass. I oh, yeah. kind of counter. Me and Chad might run into each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can remember talking talking about you, Mr. Kirkland, and how impressed yeah. I was with you. A guy your size, I think it was 96 or 97 against Baltimore on a Sunday night game, and you covered the running back from Baltimore, and I can't remember which one it was, but you went down the field with him, picked off the pass. I mean, this was like 15 yards down the field. You were stride for stride with him, picked off the pass, and, uh, yeah, I just remember the announcers going crazy because they were like, a guy that size that, you know, you realize how athletic he is, that that guy can can keep stride for stride with a running back coming out of the backfield like that. And I was like, holy crap, they're right. That guy's right with them the whole time. So I don't ever think, uh, I think as athletic as you were, you could keep up with most anybody. 
Well, I, I was, but you know the, the the good thing was we we had some great players around us. That I I always marveled at Chad what Chad could do as far as the versatility, as far as being able to rush the passer at the inside linebacker position, but then he could shift to a defensive end and be just as effective as rushing the uh, the passer. And one of my favorite plays was. We used to run like an inside, kind of like an inside, cross inside, something like that. And I would always go first, and Chad would just come right off me. I'm telling you, man, we might have made that play famous because I don't <laughs> think anybody ever ran it better than we did. But the cool thing was I got to see Chad do his thing on the inside and then on third down just put tremendous pressure. He was hard to block. It was, I'm telling you, this, this guy had... He had so much flexibility, and he could turn and really hit that corner. And most guards could not put their hands on our center, and we would just really, we were really successful at really making that defense work. Right. So you talk about the athletes you had around you. What was it like playing with the two guys on the edge with Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green? Well, I mean. It, Part of it is, is great because you, you're a young guy and you're you know a smart guy like Levon and, and myself. I, I'd like to think we were smart back then. You pay attention to what those guys are doing. Of course, you try yeah. to learn. You, you try to learn those lessons from them. So you, you know, the, the weight workouts, uh, the the film study, the level of professionalism, the attitude in which they practice and, and attack practice. So that's the positive. On the other side, if you're an offensive coordinator and you're drawing up your game plan, you go, whoa, okay, I got all pro, pro bowler, defensive player of the year, and Greg Lloyd on one side. I got Kevin Green, you know, 3-4 pass rusher for hire on the other side. Who am I going to attack? I'm going to attack those two young inside guys. So, so, you know, it was great to play with good players, but at the same time, sometimes that shifted the focus on to LeVon and me. And you're going to attack Cornell Lake? You're going to attack Rod Woodson? No, you're going to come after, you know, these two young guys. And uh, luckily <laughs> yeah. for us, you know, we had some good coaching and good examples for some teammates. And eventually, I think we were able to raise our level of play to match the rest of those guys on that defense. So we were no longer uh, a liability. You want to run your fullback at Big Kirk? Man, that fullback's going to go back close to the sideline and say, Coach, don't run that anymore. So right. you know, we had those kind of players, uh, not just for Greg and Kevin, but eventually, you know, LeVon and I became those kind of players. We were trying to attack someone else because they knew they couldn't money that up. Um, and that was a tremendous feeling. Yeah. I, I, I also say this. I think, you know, our first year, and you got to understand this, me and Chad were really young, but we were really new to the position. And so, and if you understand the Blitzburg um, defense, that defense is complicated. You're talking about one play that could have a variation of 20 different plays, and that's just one defense. So for us, it was a lot of mental strain there. And also being able to we're, – we're also the leaders of the defense in a lot of ways where we line people up and make sure everybody's in the right spot. And we had to really do a good job of playing the inside run and also being able to drop in coverage and also sometimes handle man-to-man -man coverage. 
and they were not holding back the defensive playbook for us. So I think that first year we still played pretty well together, but mm-hmm. that second year together, I think that's when it really kind of clicked for me and Chad. And that's when people were just like, whoa, not only these two outside linebackers and, you know, Carnell Lake and Rob Wilson are good, these two young inside backers right. are pretty good too. I mean, what do you think, Chad? That's what I think. Oh, I, yeah, I think that, you know, obviously – Going into your second year starting, most players like their biggest improvement from year one as a starter to year two as a starter. We certainly came back, you know, smarter. I came back finally, you know, lifting some weights and got bigger and, and stronger. and was able to, you know, handle myself a little bit better in there. And then, you know, I think there's a certain emotional security and emotional maturity that you need as well because, you know, as a rookie, it, it was – it was difficult. I was intimidated by Greg Lloyd to tell Greg to do something. You know what I mean? And the same thing for Kevin, to tell Kevin to do something. But then by year two, I'm more comfortable in my skin as a player. Therefore, I'm more comfortable as a guy who's got to get calls and checks and all of that. So it, it, it removed that hesitancy. So now not only were we better individual players, but we were better leaders in the inside of that defense and better communicators. So overall, our entire defensive play got better because we got better and we became more mature. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like playing at Three Rivers? Man, uh, <laughs> I mean, what is, I mean it's, you, you, you watch old NFL films, it's at Three Rivers. That's, that's where yeah. you know, those championships were born. That's yeah. the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's the... You know, Immaculate Reception, that's Mean Joe Green, that's Terry Bradshaw. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So to come out of that tunnel in that place with that crowd and the terrible towels and all that, man, are you kidding me? That's like football nirvana. It was amazing. I'm going to tell you, my favorite thing about Sea Rivers, I mean, not only the fans, but when we got introduced, and we were yeah. playing at a high level, man. It was amazing, especially the four linebackers. When we came out, man, they went bananas. And it, it was it was such a cool thing to know that this is a really it's a defensive town. They love defense, and yeah. and the lineage of linebackers that was there before me and Chad got there, and to be a part of it, and to get. I mean, when Kevin came out and I came out after Kevin and Chad came out after me and Greg came after me, I'm telling you, man, it was on fire when we when we got introduced. So that was one of my favorite things. And, man, it just seemed like the energy level was up on defense. And what you have to understand about our defense back in the day, you talk about guys that took ownership of being a part of Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, we took ownership, and it was a great thing to see. We we held each other accountable for the way we played. And and I dare say, if you wasn't on that level, if you wasn't ready to play ball each and every Sunday, you couldn't be a part of that defense. And that's what I loved about being a part of Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I can only imagine the first time being introduced out of that tunnel. How, you know, I, I've, I talked to Craig Wolfley uh, a while back, and, t- and he was telling me about, 
you know, he was standing next to, he looked up and he was like, where am I at? And he said, I'm standing next to Jack Lambert and, and all these legends getting ready to come out of the same tunnel with him. And it, it just like, you know, may, he said, I've got chill bumps right now thinking about being able to, to do that. You know, the first time I did it, he said, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, we didn't have those kind of, I mean, we had like guys like Rob Lewis. We had some great guys. But, I mean, I think within ourselves, we were we were another breed of guys. And we were bringing something back that in the 80s they didn't quite have. And right. it was it was me being a part of that. You could, it, it was our, our, our legend was growing at that time. So we didn't really have guys like those guys, but within ourselves, it was growing. It was, it, it, you could tell, man. It, I mean, we, you know, besides, you know, instead of calling like the steel curtain or whatever, we would call Blitzburg. Right. And at that time, you knew, man, we're, we're, we're really, we're really putting the ink on history ourselves with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're, we're really developing something that's new. And the cool thing was, it wasn't like a one-time thing. We were pretty consistent um, across the board. Oh yeah, and I really felt like we had no we did, we didn't have a, a weakness on that defense. No, it, it really wasn't. So, 1994 team, you guys come out, and I mean, it, there's so much great expectations for you guys. You guys get to the ASC championship game and come up short. What kind of did that give y'all extra motivation? The San Diego game extra motivation for the following year to say, hey, we're not going to let this happen again. We're, we're going to take it all the way this time. Uh, you know, I, I think we, we did a team, a good thing that a lot of teams do when they have disappointment either in the Super Bowl or in the championship game. You want to fast forward to that next season so you can hurry up and get back to that point where it went bad for you last year. The, the, the Super Bowl year, I think we started that season three and four. Three and four, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then, then won the next nine games in a row. So I think that that rocky start was because, you know, we were focused on trying to get back to the championship game and not focused on that next season and each individual opponent. Right. Um, you know, after those seven games, started three and four, we got things rolling, and, you know, we lost nine in a row. But yeah, I mean, we were not immune to that. You know, let's fast forward and get to get hurry up and get back to where we want to be. You got to earn it. You got you got to earn that thing. It doesn't happen easily. No one's going to give it to you. And I think we were still in a little bit of that, you know, uh, delusional mindset that somehow we could just kind of cruise back to that previous point. Right. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with Chad. And this is where I thought Bill Cowher did a great job. Uh, I think we were three and four. At the halfway mark, we had—I remember—we played Cincinnati. We got beat on national TV. Thursday night, it was pretty embarrassing. And so we have a—we have a bye week, and you know, get a chance to go home and refresh. But I remember—I don't know if you remember this, Chad—but we came back, and normally we have those little—you know—all the teams we playing that week. I remember there was nothing on the board, and I'm like, "Oh man, what's going on?" And I remember Coach Cower actually getting in front of the team and said, forget about the three and four. Our season starts now. We win this next game. We start off one and out. 
Now, that sounds good, but we win that first game. And we're, we, we basically start saying we're one and up. Then we go to Chicago. Oh, yes. And we beat a good Chicago team in overtime. And Classic we come game. out of that place. To, and, and we started really, you know, guys started referring the season as 2-0, and 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, 6-0. I mean, we just ran off um, a, a bunch of wins after that until we got to the Super Bowl. But our whole thing was I think he really changed the way we looked at the season where, like Chad said before, we just started taking them one game at a time. Right. We just started saying, okay, the next game, we're going to be this. The next game, we're going to be that. So, yeah, I thought Coach Cowher really did his best coaching job during that season. It's funny you mentioned that Chicago game because I feel like, and I don't know if you guys feel like it, but it sounds like you do, like that was the turning point for that when when you guys pull out that game in overtime. Uh, and I've talked to you know a couple of the other players that were on that team about it. That felt like it was kind of you walk out of the Soldier Field, like you said, against a good Chicago team and, and get the win in overtime. But I felt like that was a turning point where you guys said, all right, this is it. We, we got it under control now. I, I mean, as an NFL team, I don't think you've ever, you know, feel like you've got it under control. But you, 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 we regained our confidence that we had from the year before. We got some of our swagger back, um, and you know, then used that that confidence and, and rode that to the rest of the season. Let me, let me ask y'all this, and I've asked some other members of your team this: Was there extra motivation? I know for a Monday night game is extra motivation at Three Rivers is extra motivation, but when you it seemed like you guys got even more motivated when you played the Buffalo Bills. I mean, because you guys destroyed Buffalo on Monday night several times. Was there extra motivation because they were they were kind of like the, the 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 team to beat? Was there extra motivation to whip up on Buffalo on Monday night? I, I honestly think it was just Monday night. It wasn't so much Buffalo. I just say Monday night, man, we were, I mean, we were sky high. And we got a reputation of just winning on Monday night. We were the team, if the Super Bowl was on a Monday night, we are going to win that game. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just had an expectation of winning on Monday night because we understood at the time that was the only, I mean, that was a prime time game, the only game being played. And... We had a bunch of guys that had, I mean, we just had heart. And we just had an uh, attitude about ourselves that we we're going to perform, especially on Monday night. So I don't think it was really the Buffalo Bills. I just think the Buffalo Bills just were unlucky on playing us on Monday night. That's what it was because when we played anybody on Monday night, they were going down. Yeah. I just remember. I, I, I just, Go ahead, Mr. Brown. I, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, you know, yeah. It didn't matter who the opponent was. You, not only were the students good, but you were going to get everything that we had on a Monday night, and it just happened to be that the Bills drew the you know the short stick. I don't think uh, Jim Kelly finished a Monday night game against us my, in my four years in in Pittsburgh. No, he did not come out of those games. Um, so yeah, Monday nights were always special. Uh, Coach Cowher gave Monday night uh, a little bit of a different practice schedule 
uh, a lot of times the Saturday night practice and sometimes even the Friday night practice or Friday practice will be held at night about the same time as kickoff. So it, you, you, the, the weeks felt different, and there was a different buildup to those weeks. And you could literally just go out there on Monday night and, and unleash all that emotion. Right. You guys get back to the AFC Championship game. You go up against the Colts, an upstart team that has upset, upset the Chiefs. And you're playing at Three Rivers again. And it comes down to the last play again. What, what was, what was the, the emotion like on that last play? I mean, the ball goes up in the air. Where, I mean, I, I don't even remember if you two guys were on the field. I'm sure you were. I was on the field. I think, you, were you on the field, Chad? Yeah, I was pass rushing from uh, Harbaugh's right. So right, I wasn't on the field, so I got a glimpse at it. As soon as the ball went up in the air, what what were your thoughts? <laughs> Knock it down. I'm <laughs> Knock like, it down. Holy, yeah, I'm like, please. <laughs> Knock it down. It was close. It was, it was close. close. It was close. Because I, yeah, I was on pins and needles. I was sitting there. I know he just didn't catch that ball. Because it, it looked like at first he had caught it. And then when Phil Sims said he caught it, it's like, oh, no, no, this can't be happening. But thank God. Well, yeah. we had that fourth and three. And Andre Hastings made that catch, man. Oh, yeah. I'm like, we cannot possibly, this could not possibly happen to us again. Well, I'll tell you what I felt like one of the bigger play, probably the biggest play of that game was, uh, I believe it was a third down play for the Colts near the end, and Willie Williams comes off the edge untouched yeah. and stops the running back in the backfield. Uh, that, that he was, saved us. Yes, that was definitely. I can tell you about that play because I was in on that play, and the, the blitz we ran, we messed it up. And Willie came from the other side. Yeah. And make that play. And if he doesn't make that play, I think it was Lamont Evans, I want to say. Or Lamont Warren. The running back was. Lamont would have been running forever. Yep. We were so lucky on that play. We almost screwed that one up. Yeah. But what was it like knowing that you're, you know, it, it celebrating in Three Rivers, knowing you're going to play in the Super Bowl? Oh, it was huge. Uh, especially after the, how we started off the season, to see us just really fight back the way we did and to win like we did, it was amazing. I, I know for me, man, it was just a dream come true because as a young guy, you always dream about going to the Super Bowl and being a part of the Super Bowl. So for us to do that the way we did it, it was amazing. Yeah, uh, absolutely amazing. And, you know, I told you about, you know, winning all those games earlier in my football career. So as soon as we got the Super Bowl, I immediately assumed we are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that's what happened <clears throat> for me my entire life up until that point. You know, there's a big game. I walk away from that big game a winner. So why would this one be any different? I did, too. I've never been in a situation like that as far as the big game. But I've won enough in my career that my expectation was we're going to win, especially the way we practiced that week. I don't know if you recall this, Chad, but we had some great practices that week. And their scheme was simple, and because they were so good, they could be so simple. So you you weren't really worried about, like, they're going to just try to outfox you. You just knew that, okay, we got to stand up and really get after these guys. Who are, they were huge. Yeah, yeah, they were the biggest line. They were big. They were mean. 
they could block. And, you know, they had Emmett Smith and they had, uh, you know, Michael Urban on the outside, Troy Aikman. So they were a quality team. And we knew we had to bring it, but we felt like, man, we've been through so much that year that we were, I thought we were destined to win. I, I, I had no doubt that we were going to win that game. Well, what was it like coming out the first time in, 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 at Arizona Stadium on that field, feeling that Super Bowl atmosphere? Uh, you know, I thought Bill Cowley did a good job, you know, telling us, you know, to prepare yourself, you know, for the emotion of the game and go out extra early just so you can kind of get a, a sense of the, uh, the crowd. You can get a sense of, you know, all the extra hoopla about that. <laughs> So, you know, I'm out there, and, I, and I, you know, I think it was Vanessa Williams saying the national anthem, so I'm seeing her rehearse. So by the time the game starts, you don't spend the first series or two looking up in the stands and going, oh, man, that's, there's Frazier and there's so-and-so. You have to dial in the very first play of the game. So I, I got all that out of the way, you know, early in warm-up so I could just focus on, you know, kicking some cowboy butt. All right. Hey, the the respect, I mean, the lack, and I felt like all week long all I heard was how much the Cowboys going to run on, on, on Steelers' defense, how much bigger, like you said, the offensive line was than than you guys. But you guys pretty much shut Emmett down. I mean, Emmett, did, Emmett scored those touchdowns at the end, but they were, you know, not long touchdowns. He didn't have many yards at all. He wasn't that big of a, of a factor in the game to me. Uh, you know, that first play, he broke off <laughs> a pretty big run on us, and I'm like, dang, because I made a wrong step on that. But I felt, I mean, we settled down, and we really did did a good job of shutting him down. And I tell you, and Chad knows this, the first touchdown he scored, he did not score. I Don't saw that, uh, yeah, I saw that too. He was down, and you can see us making the point that Emmett was down on that because I remember um, it was a lead play. Moose came at me. I, I bust Moose up, and I was making a tackle. And we surrounded him. What he did was he was down. He put the ball across the plane. Play, uh, and when they called the touchdown, we were just like like disputing that he did not score. And if they would have replay, he wouldn't score. Yeah. Did show they didn't score, but we did it. I thought we did a really good job of after we settled down, yeah, a little bit. We did a good job of stopping their offense. They really didn't do anything. You got to understand that they basically got two touchdowns off turnovers. Yeah, yeah, those two short fields, you know, that really helped that, them quite a bit. And, you know, NFL games are going to be determined by who wins the turnover battle. They won the turnover battle. Yeah. And I, I think if they don't win the turnover battle, they could after maybe that first two drives they had on us, they could not march the ball down the field. Well, you know, I felt like after the onside kick, when you guys got the onside kick, I'm like, you I said, you know, everything was just going so well then. I was like, we're, you know, and I say we, we're going to win this game. You know, we're going to, this is, this is just destined to happen right now. And, and when Bam took the ball in and cut it to three, I was like, you know, this, this is going to be it right here. We're going to, because we're stop, you know, you're stopping the Cowboys, and uh, you know, fortunately, the two interceptions happened in uh, 27-17. But uh, it was a great game. But 
Talk a little bit about just two of you guys that you had in the back in the secondary with you, Rod Woodson and Carnell Lake. What was it like playing with those two? I thought those two were the ultimate professionals. Uh, I thought that Rod Woodson was one of the best players I've ever seen in my life, and that Cardell Lake was probably one of the most underrated defenders uh, in Pittsburgh Steelers history. Uh, you got to understand that that guy moved from safety to corner. Now, usually the process, the most guys move from corner to safety, but for him to be able to move from safety to corner and do a pretty good job against like mm-hmm. number one receivers was incredible. We were banged up that year, and you know, Raw got hurt. Right. For Carnell to do what he did, I thought that was incredible. But being in there a lot, Rod Wilson, I I normally marvel of what Rod could do. Big corner who wasn't afraid of um, coming up against a run. Uh, very versatile, I thought. You know, he could come off the edge, make some sacks. That was the beauty of the Pits, uh, the Blitzburg defense. Um, could make plays. I mean, big-time interceptions, you know, interceptions that you need. And Lake was just an amazing defensive player. And, and Lake was very versatile in what he can do. He can cover, but he also can come off the edge. We used to run this thing. This defense called double steam two or three. Oh man, that thing worked to perfection. It really did. We had those two fast guys coming off the edge, and then at that time, a lot of quarterbacks were coming off, you know, behind center. And our defense would kill any quarterback like that. We would we would get after people, especially if you're behind center. You really didn't have a shot. And when we ran that. Either Rod or Lee was going to get that sack. It was an amazing defense, and it caused a lot of people trouble. And some of the stuff you see today where guys are walking up on the line of scrimmage, we did that first. We we did the confusion thing better than anybody. You definitely did that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah those two guys, uh, you know, I, I talked about being a young guy with Greg and Kevin and learning from them. Um, Carnell's wife and my wife got to be – good friends um, during my rookie year. So at the end of the season, Carnell and his wife had us over for dinner. Go to Carnell's house. In his den, he's got this treadmill. It's, uh, it's called Woodway Treadmill. They're probably, they're standard at probably almost every NFL facility now. But back then, these things were just first coming out. And uh, that was all he had in the den was that treadmill and a TV. So uh, I thought, if this is what Carnell Lake is doing, and this is what I need to do. So at the, uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm at my apartment in Boulder. I finally get my little uh, end-of-the-season bonus set. I get $18,000. I buy a $17,000 treadmill after my rookie year. I still have that treadmill. I use that thing every year to prepare myself to play. So just as simple as watching what Carnell did, the equipment he used, that's how closely I followed those guys because I admired what they were able to do. And LeBron left out a little bit of the Carnell Lake story. Carnell Lake went to UCLA, so I watched him growing mm-hmm. up. And he was a linebacker, linebacker yeah. at UCLA. Yep, sure was. Then he became a safety. Then he became an all-pro cornerback. So literally <laughs> crazy. the most versatile defensive players probably ever in NFL history to be able to go that route. It's usually the other way, not that way. So truly amazing guy, truly amazing player. Uh, I learned a lot from him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
it, the following season, Greg Lloyd, of course, gets hurt in the opener against Jacksonville. They move Mr. Brown. They move him to outside linebacker, his natural position. It's like unleashing the beast. He has probably his best year, what, 13 sacks that year, all pro. What was it like? I mean, I know you played it before, but getting back to your original position, what was it like for you? Uh, you know, it, it, the first couple of weeks, it was a, a bit of a struggle. And, um, you know, my, my, my daughter was born uh, in August that year. So, you know, life at home was a little bit different. You know, my wife couldn't cater to me. We were worried about the baby and this and that. So I remember after Greg got hurt and coming home from that Jacksonville game, I told her, I was like, maybe it's just best that you go back to Colorado I got to have to spend a lot of extra time at work. Uh, I got to learn this new position. I you know it's not really new, 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 but you know there's a lot of nuance I got to pick up here in a short period of time. And let's face it, I'm not just going to go play outside linebacker from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm replacing Greg Lloyd, yeah. literally the baddest man in football at the time. There's no one else who's playing at that level. With that level of ferocity, with that level of physicality, there's no one else doing it like him. No one else. So for the quiet, shy dude to, you know, step into that role, um, that was, you know, that was a lot for me to be able to do. But then after the first two games, I finally got some momentum going, and I started to get natural out there and go back to some of those things I used to do, you know, a couple years before at the University of Colorado and, um, eventually it all came together. And then I think the defensive coordinator at the time, Dick LeBeau, you know, he, he started to get a sense of who I was and he started featuring me a little bit with some blitzes and things like that. And it just all came together for a very magical season. Yeah. What was it like playing for Coach LeBeau? Ah, gosh. I always saw myself a LeBeau soldier. Uh, Coach LeBeau was, he was able to relate to you in a, such a different way than most coaches could. He, he was in the yeller or screamer. He was a, you know, he had a lot of enthusiasm. But I think because Coach played football, he understood the players. He understood, especially from the back end, the covers element of it and not putting the DBs in arm's way. And I thought that he related to the players so well that he had so much confidence, it gave us confidence. And going, and I, I just want to kind of go back to Chad. That year, we both made a Pro Bowl yeah. that, that same year. Because, you know, Kevin wasn't there anymore. Greg got hurt. Uh, Jason Gilbert, who was supposed to be one of the outside linebackers, he got hurt. And so that first that first game was a little rough for us, and I just remember it seemed like we both came together. And I don't know if Chad remember this, but I was just like, Chad, this is our time. This <laughs> it's me and your time. And we both had tremendous seasons that year. We, I mean, I don't think there was a better combination of linebackers. Uh, that year, as far as the outside and the inside linebacker, we really, we we were only in. I think Chad was in his fourth year. I was in my fifth year, but we yep. played so much. But we played so much that we were like almost. It seemed like we were almost super veterans, but we were still pretty young guys. 
And I think we, we just, we were already on the scene, but this was an opportunity, nothing against Greg and Kevin. This was an opportunity for us to shine, and I thought we really did. Yeah, you, But LeBron yeah. was the best. LeBron was the best. So, uh, Coach LeBron, the best teacher of coaches I've, I've ever had. And, you know, LeBron used the word relatable a, a number of times. And uh, I had the tremendous honor. I've done a few uh, NFL coaching internships. Uh, I had a, the honor of working with Coach LeBron uh, in Tennessee. So I had a chance to spend five weeks next to this guy who I had such admiration for as a coach and be working with him almost as a peer. Um, but what I realized in that five weeks, you know, sometimes you hear about coaches getting older and some people question, can he coach anymore? That coach hasn't forgotten football. He, doesn't, he, he hasn't lost the ability to coach. What he's lost is the ability to relate to that 21-year-old in the room. So to see Dick LeBeau, who I think was 73 that year when I was in Tennessee with him, to be able to see a 73-year-old man not only relate to the 21-year-olds in the room, but literally be the coolest man in the room, <laughs> it was an amazing experience. And I thought that's what I want to be as I get older. I'm cool to get older, but I still want to be like Coach LeBeau. Cool, yeah. relatable, and a teacher of life. So uh, tremendous honor could be coached by him. It's even more of an honor to work with him with the Tennessee Titans that year. Yeah. That year, you guys play in the AFC Wild Card. It's a rematch with the Colts at Three Rivers. You guys pretty much put one of the worst beatings I've ever seen on Jim Harbaugh. And, uh, Mr. Brown, you had a lot to do at three sacks. It seemed like every time he dropped back to pass, somebody was in his face. And you guys get the 42-14 to 14 win over them. But that ended up being your last game at Three Rivers of Sprout. Well, but what was it like? How special was it to get that win and, and, and you know, to have such a big game there at Three Rivers? Uh, awesome. You know, I think the best players find ways to step up in, in big games. You know, LeVon to step up like he did and play the game that he did in the Super Bowl. Right. That's what good players do. You know, for me to help that defense in that playoff game, that's what good players do. I ran into the Harbaugh brothers uh, a few years ago <laughs> at Disney World, of all places, um, and so as soon as Jim sees me, he grabs his brother. He's like, this is the dude who broke my tooth. <laughs> Apparently, in that game, I broke his tooth. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> he had a busted. Yeah. He was bleeding right all around the mouth. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Chad, yeah. hey, can I tell you, man, I saw, I, I, we had another game in Cincinnati that, you know, Chad is just playing outside linebacker. I'm playing inside linebacker. Chad had one of the best games I ever seen a player have. I mean, he had. I think Chad, you had like five sacks <laughs> that game. I'm not sure. Uh, I had five and a half. They took one away from me statistically yeah. after the game, so I ended up with four and a half. Now, now it's kind of funny because I had two sacks in that game. Yeah. I mean, we both had incredible games. So I never like. I was like, man, this guy just moved from inside linebacker to outside linebacker, and he just killed it. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself after. I'm thinking me and Chad are going to be superstars. <laughs> so I'm like, I really did. I thought, I said, me and this guy, we're going to, we're going to dominate this league. Yeah. And 
I we're got gonna, to. We're going to dominate this league. I got to go back to the Super Bowl. I talk about you know I talked about the onside kick, but one of the iconic plays in that Super Bowl, Mr. Kirkland, is when you blitz up the middle, dive over the top of Emmett Smith, and sack Troy Aikman. Uh, that's another play where I said you know everything's going our way now. That is one of the iconic plays in, in, in Super Bowl in the Super Bowl to me. Uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, well, thank you, but that play shouldn't have happened <laughs> because I'm gonna tell you what, no, because Chad can remember this. We Chad was trying like before that play, our two plays before that, they ran a little slant with Kevin Williams, and he caught the ball. Chad was telling me, Kurt, push, push over. I didn't do it, push over, so that guy was able to catch that ball and really gained some yardage. So I was like, I got to make up for that play. And that's why, you know, when Emmett came at me, I kind of jumped over him a little, <laughs> dived a little bit. But I always tell people, if I was just maybe a second early, I was, I was going to chill. And I mean, chill. <laughs> I was going to blow him to pieces. <laughs> so I was coming so hard so when when Emmett went for my legs, I kind of dove at the last second and was able to uh, clip Troy Aikman. I just got a piece of it. I didn't yeah. really hit him flush. Yeah, you didn't. You just got if a knock and knock him back. Flush, if I would have hit him flush, it would have been all over. <laughs> it would have been all over. So, Mr. Brown ends up leaving for Seattle. And what, Mr. Kirk, what were your feelings when, when you found out he was leaving? I was heartbroken. I know. I was, I was too. heartbroken. I was too. I, I, I thought it was the wrong move. But I understood why Chad had to do what he did. Right. I, I always, and, and I think as a player, you you know, you understand, you're never getting in the way of some guy, you know, you're never getting in the way of a contract or a guy making money and being able to provide for his family for the rest of his life. So I had no problems with that. I was a little upset with Pittsburgh because I'm like, yeah, Chad is so valuable to us, and I think, and I think they still think to this day, it was a mistake to let Chad Brown go. Definitely, because we were on the, we were on the verge of being probably the best duo of linebackers that the NFL has ever saw, and I think we, I, I think with me and Chad, we we had such a great working relationship. And that we, in ways without, like, we never, like, crossed each other. We never had an argument or anything like that. But we pushed each other. I really feel that we pushed each other all the time. And playing with Chad was the kind of guy you that helped you become better because he was at a certain level. I wanted to be at that certain level also. So when he left, man, it was really, it was really a sad day for me. It mm-hmm. really was. I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it because, in my mind, that was one of the best linebackers, and you were letting, you were letting one of the best young line. It wasn't like he was in age or anything like that. You were letting one of the best young linebackers go to another team. Yeah, and, and you know, it seems like. That's happened uh, a few times in Pittsburgh, but I'm like you. I didn't understand the move. I mean, this guy's coming off his best year. You got him at his natural position now. I mean, the defense is, you know, even if 
with with Kevin Green gone now, you've got somebody that that can take his place. Greg Lloyd's going to come back, and and to just let him go like that, I I was you know it really you know yeah I'm fanboying out here, but it upset me to the point I was like you know do I really want to pull for the Steelers anymore? And I said no, nah, I got to pull for the Steelers anyway. But how hard was it leaving leaving Pittsburgh? I mean I know you got this big contract from Seattle, but how hard was it for you to leave Pittsburgh? Okay, first let me give a little context. Uh, all right, so I wanted to stay. The yeah. Steelers wanted me to stay, but there was just so many complications around it. Greg Lloyd was going to come back the next year, and uh, Greg had signed a big money deal the year before, with the year when he got hurt. So they weren't going to move away from Greg, nor should they have. You know, Greg certainly earned the opportunity to come back from you know his knee injury. And then they had Jason Gilden, you know, the young second-round draft pick who was playing uh, outside. So was I going to have to go back to play inside linebacker? Well, I just made not just a Pro Bowl, but I was all pro. And I was some people's defensive player of the year. Yeah. So so it'd be crazy for to ask the defensive player of the year, hey, I I know you made all pro at outside linebacker, but we needed you to move back to inside linebacker. So there was that. And then there was also the fact that Jerome Bettis and I were coming up and we were going to be free agents at the same time. And so they had to choose between Jerome and myself as far as big dollars. Um, so the deal they offered me in the end uh, was, you know, it was very small in comparison to what the Pittsburgh Steelers, or I'm sorry, the Seattle Seahawks offered. And, you know, as much as I wanted to be a Steeler and knew how, you know, awesome it was to be a Steeler and, and Steeler linebackers go to Pro Bowl. Steeler linebackers make the Hall of Fame, uh, as LeVon pointed out. You know, we play football to secure our family's future. And yeah. I had to make the tough decision as much as it hurt me to leave the Pittsburgh Steelers, as much as it hurt me to leave the dude who I had, you know, grown up in the NFL with and we had formed, you know, the baddest tag team linebacker duo <laughs> in the league at that time, to leave that situation completely sucked and you know can i say it was for the money yeah it was for the money um and i i still kick myself this day and wonder if i had somehow been able to accept that low dollar offer from the steelers and maybe gut it out for a year or two and force them back to the negotiating table um you know would i be wearing a gold jacket right now would i have made more pro bowls you know all that kind of stuff I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but more than anything, you know, I I missed playing with Big Kirk. That was the biggest thing for me. Yeah, you know, you go on to uh, have a pretty good career with Seattle, and and Mr. Kirkland ends up ends up leaving Pittsburgh in two thousand. You guys reunite in two thousand one with Seattle. What was it like when you heard that he was coming to Seattle? When Mr. Kirkland was coming to Seattle. Oh man! I mean, come on! I mean, we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna put the band back together again, um, you know. But I mean, obviously, you know, things are are different. It's a different team. It's a different style of defense. Um, so many things were different. So it was fantastic to be, you know, playing side by side with Levon again. Um, it was a really fun year, I think, for me personally. Just to, cause, you know, I'm. I'm like I said earlier, I'm a pretty quiet, shy kind of dude. But, you know, I've been to battle with LeVon so many times. It was easy just to kind of pick up that connection right there. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the kind of success I think either one of us hoped for as a team on the field. Yeah. Yeah. 
What? What was? It was the, you know, it was a different. It was a different team, and that you know, having a mentality, it takes time. It does, and we weren't quite there yet. We had some good pieces there, but we weren't. We weren't quite where we were with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We, well, people don't understand. We were so in sync, and like Chad said before. Chad and I grew up together in the in the um, in the league. Yeah, we. I mean, you talking about literally growing up together. We grew up together in the league, and I will always tell everybody that me and Chad were, in my opinion, we were like we had the best working relationship there ever was. We worked so well together, and we were <clears throat> we were unselfish as players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we together we were really unselfish guys, and like when you you, you don't get that kind of relationship ever. And I never like you know, I played with Pittsburgh I, um, after after Chad left. It was never the same. I had some good success at Pittsburgh. Matter of fact, the year after that, I ended up making the Pro Bowl again. Yeah, and, and almost fighting for another Super Bowl. We lost to Denver that year, who eventually won it. Um, but I felt almost alone. You know, Jason was there, but we kind of changed it. the defense. I was one of the la- I was probably the last guy. Yeah, I think you were on that '94 defense. And well, late was I think late was there, but late left too, and Darren left also. So um, I was one of the I was probably the last guy. But I don't know how Chad feels about this, but our relationship was. So good, mm-hmm. and we played so well together. Even when he moved to outside backer, and now they put me in the dime situation. There were no other. There was not two young linebackers that were better than what we are. I mean, what we were. There was nobody had the two guys we had as athletic as we were. But man, we were so in sync. Definitely, you know that. Uh, it was a relationship. Like, me and Chad really never hung out outside of the game. Like, outside, because he was married, I was single. So it was a little different for us. But we had a connection on the field. And, you know, as we got older, but there was not a better connection ever. Well, as far as, um, as far as linebackers are concerned. I mean, we, we were probably the best two inside three four guys ever. Right, <laughs> I believe it. What, what was it like playing for for uh, Mike Holmgren though? The big show. Yeah, a little different. Well, you know, yeah, you know, I was there for eight years. Well, eight years and six years with Coach Holmgren. Um, it, it was it, it was such a different environment than. Than, than Pittsburgh. So uh, we talked about Bill Collins being a former linebacker at the same time with the linebackers. But he still spent time with the offense. And he knew what the offense was doing. So it always felt like Bill had command over the entire team. Coach Holmgren would walk into the Monday morning meeting uh, and say, you know, offense, we did this, you know, we did offense, did this. And defensively, the coaches tell me you guys played pretty good. <laughs> what? You didn't watch the tape? <laughs> so those kinds of things just made it so different 
And, you know, I mean, at some point, yes, you're playing for money and you're playing for the family, but you also kind of play for the coach sometimes. And sometimes I would feel like, dude, I am literally laying it all on the line for you, and you don't even watch the tape. How could <laughs> you, you don't even know what kind of player I am because you don't watch the tape. You can't even appreciate all that I pour into this game because you don't watch the tape, coach. That that was always hard for me. Well, I tell you too to uh, to be a witness of what Chad said. I think that's absolutely right. Now, um, when we were with Pittsburgh and Bill Cowher, you you can tell how much involved Bill was because we were we used to have a quiz every Saturday, and he would not only quiz the offense but he would also quiz the defense. He was a defensive guy, but he also knew what the offense was doing. And it was kind of neat to me because he would just like, hey, uh, so, so and so, what did they do? And he would just kind of point a guy out. And then he will go to the offensive side. So just that example alone tells you how involved overall he was with the whole team. Right. Mike was a different – Mike was – it was all about offense. He could give – he could care less about the defense. All right. What was it like for you, Mr. Brown, when you came back to Pittsburgh at, uh, what was it, 2006? Oh, man. You know, uh, it, 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 it's awesome in, in life when you get the opportunity to kind of come full circle. So to leave Pittsburgh 10 years before and then come back and get an opportunity, kind of as my career is winding down, to go back there uh, was truly, truly awesome. Uh, I, I loved it, unfortunately. The team had a little bit of a Super, uh, Super Bowl hangover. Yeah, you know Ben Ben had his motorcycle accident that off season, so things weren't in in sync that that year. Um, but uh, to go back to Pittsburgh was, was great. You know that was Bill's last year there, and you know I'm an older player, so I actually spent some time in Bill's office, just kind of talking, you know, man to man and, and family stuff because his family hadn't come out to Pittsburgh that year. My family was still. Uh, I moved out to Pittsburgh either, so we were, you know, kind of commiserating about, you know, living a single life kind of thing. Um, it was a, it was a very cool experience. And that first game back, I got a sack. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I ended up starting that game. I got a sack that game. Um, that was super awesome. Come back, <laughs> you know, be in that in that place, wear that jersey again, and get a sack and look in the stands. And there's still people wearing my number ninety four jersey ten years Heck later. Yeah, man, that was awesome. Well, look, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, you guys talk about it 10 years later. Uh, there's there's stuff I can tell, I can remember from, from those years you guys were in Pittsburgh the first time when I can remember just glued to the tube. I can remember everything. Like like when I was talking about Mr. Kirkland covering that guy from Baltimore, I remember it like it was yesterday. You guys gave gave us so many great memories. That's, that's, you two of them we'll never forget there. Uh, so what are you guys doing now? Well, uh, I'm basically the vice president of the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame. It's a nonprofit. And what we do is we educate, empower, and encourage student athletes. So we basically cover the whole state of South Carolina. And I've always been an advocate for the student athlete and trying to help them along the way. I, I feel like as when I was a student, when I was a high school kid, 
we didn't have a whole lot of mentors um, in South Carolina who who played the sport and moved to a high level. And I feel like it's my, really my duty to kind of give back to that, my knowledge and experience, and try to help the whole state. In South Carolina, we are like 43rd in college and career readiness, and that's just not good. But we got a lot of football players that come from this state and have done well. So what we try to do with with the podcast that we have, we try to highlight those guys who are in our Hall of Fame. Uh, like we had Art Shell last week on our podcast, and he talked about leadership. Right. So we try to make sure we give those lessons back to our student athletes. We did a live, um, we did a live stream with the ten finalists of our Bridge Builders Excellent Award, where we award a student athlete of the year. We and we also have a Hall of Fame ceremony where we induct um, Hall of Fame guys who played in South Carolina are affiliated with South Carolina into our Hall of Fame. And so I basically right now, is, I'm just doing uh, my part as being an advocate, advocate of you know, helping people achieve their goals. So it's, it's been a really good transition for me. I've, I've coached on all three levels, high school, college, and in the NFL. And this is a good way for me to continue to coach, but in a different manner. So... Uh, it's something that I'm really proud of. We're we're really doing some good work, and I think we're gonna. I know we're gonna help a lot of student athletes along the way. Right. What about you, Mr. Brown? You still there? I think we uh-huh. love. Uh, Hello, I'm right here. I'm yeah. Right here. What are you? What, so, what are you up to now? Uh, uh, I am busy wearing you know lots of different hats. Um, I own a shipping company um, that specializes in shipping animals, reptiles, uh, of course, <laughs> fish, aquatics, uh, things like that. So that's, that's my day job. Uh, and then I do a lot of broadcasting. Um, I've got uh, a lot of stuff here locally I do with the Denver Broncos and the University of Colorado. And then I call games uh, with Compass Media or the Pac-12 Network uh, most weekends as well. So last week I had... Um, Tampa Bay uh, at New Orleans, so uh, Brady versus Greece. That was a cool way to kick off the season. So, a lot of fun there. Still being around the game and all that good stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, LeBron trying to use all these things that I've learned in the game to to help people out. So, I do a lot of uh, coaching uh, as well. So, um, keeping myself quite busy here in football retirement. Right, right. So, I've got a few Quick hitting questions, and then and then I'll let you guys go. I know I've kept you all for a while. Toughest opponent you went up against, uh, like an individual opponent. Toughest opponent you went up against, or could be more than one. Hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, gosh, I mean, we're talking tight end, we're talking running back, we're talking offensive lineman. Uh, you know, early in my career, Randall McDaniel from the Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings. Vikings. Yeah, man. That, I mean, that dude's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. <laughs> I have never experienced an offensive lineman who was a better athlete than me. Uh, who, I, I mean, I, it's rare on the football field that I have ever conceded a moment. But there were plenty of plays in that game where I conceded that this dude, he just, he's won the play. 
and there's nothing I can do about it. So <laughs> probably the, he's the only dude that I can think of in all my years of playing football where I was just like, I don't have an answer for what he's bringing today, and I don't know what else to do. <laughs> uh, well, I can give you one about Randall McDaniel. It was just a preseason game. We're, we're, we're at the Minnesota. I think, Chad, this is your first year. I'm actually starting that game. And they, and, and I mean, actually, it was a moment that I woke up and, you know, I kind of carried that my whole career. They ran a little screenplay. It's preseason. So I come in there kind of pussyfooting around. And Randall McDaniel hit me so hard. <laughs> now, now I have a reputation of giving it to other people, but he hit me so hard that I flew back. And can you imagine when Superman or somebody like that take a lick and how their feet are up in the air and their hands are up in the air and they just kind of fly back? Mm-hmm. That's how he knocked me down. Uh. And once I and once I skipped the ground a couple of times because my fall was like skeet skeet skeet. <laughs> I said, oh, that's how they play. Oh, so I'm going to just hear everybody in sight. So he actually set my career in the right way. But I agree with Chad. That guy was, he was, he was a problem. He had the craziest stance, too. Like, his stance was kind of awkward. But I'm telling you, it was no better guard in the league than Randall McDaniel. Right. No way. Any, any tight ends that, were, that gave you trouble? You know, the, the, the tight ends who wanted to go out and catch the passes, they really didn't want to block. So I wasn't worried about them. The tight ends that I hated were the guys who were, like, uh, glorified off of the tackles. Because, you know, it's not even a fair fight. You know, I'm well, I, I'm 240. you 310 pounds. You're like a pseudo-tight end. I, I hated yeah. those guys. So uh, the Denver Broncos had a guy for years and years and years named Dwayne Carswell. Yes, so I remember the The... Seattle Seahawks and Denver Broncos, they, the Seahawks used to be in the AFC West. Right. So we played the Broncos twice a year. So I got to see this dude twice a, twice a year, and I hated it every single time. Because, again, he's 300 pounds, and I'm tussling with a tight end who's 300 pounds. Uh, that'll wear you out pretty quick. Now, I went against a lot of tight ends because a lot of times in our defense, I had to carry the tight end down the field a lot of times. So... I, it wasn't the block, the ones that were like the big blockers for me. It was the guys who were the pass catchers. So I would have to say guys like Ben Coates oh, at yeah. one time. The Patriots. Was, he was a nightmare, man. Because he would try to out physical you too. And then I'm going to tell you what we practiced against a lot that actually prepared me better than most was Kevin Green. I mean, no, Eric Green. Yeah. Eric Green was an issue to cover. I know yeah. he had a big butt and all that stuff, man. <laughs> but Eric Green was problems. Like trying to try to cover him was problems. And then later on, there were guys like I mean, like Shannon. But I've actually had pretty good games against him. Uh, Tony Gonzalez. Yeah. I mean, he was that. He was that. <clears throat> he was that new guy that came in and. I remember covering him down the field. I was stride for stride, and then he just jumped up and catched the ball. I mean, I'm in perfect position. I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you want me to do against that. No. And uh, I'm going to tell you two who was a kind of a tricky, two other tricky guys that you would never think. Jay Novacek 
Yeah, mm-hmm. top the cover. He was top the cover. He was just crappy. He wasn't really fast, but he would just kind of lull you to sleep. And the next thing you know, he's catching the first down. You're like, damn. <laughs> and then um, it was Brent Jones. 49ers. Like, mm-hmm. for the 49ers, Brent Jones could cause you some problems, too. So, yeah, it was kind of a mixed bag as far as tight ends concerned. But I would think running backs, uh, well, Curtis Martin killed us one day. But, yeah, I remember you know, Emma Smith was pretty good. But I'm going to tell you the guy, well, the guy that killed everybody, I think, man, was, the guy who scared everybody with Barry Sanders was probably the, oh. the scariest running back of all time. <laughs> yeah, if you watch his highlight film, you'll see why, too. A lot of people uh, yeah. probably, probably, if not the greatest, one of the greatest running backs in history of football. And, uh, yeah, he, he That's was, when you have to play. That's when you have to play team football for real. Like, help me tackle this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So your favorite, favorite steal of memory, or if there's more than one, Uh, well, Super Bowl, going to the Super Bowl, that was a great memory. I mean, just the whole week of it was just tremendous for me. But I'm a t- well, as far as me and Chad is concerned, I think just, um, I think that Cincinnati game was just a game where you saw both of us just really play tremendously well. Right. And that was one of the best memories. And also, too, I mean, just being able, <laughs> I think, being in the meeting room and finally doing it right. <laughs> when we finally got it right, it was like, yes, finally. We're just not getting killed every week, you know, whether it be the wrong calls, all that stuff. Finally, you know, going to the meeting room and we both played well. That was, that was great for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with what LeBron talks about. I mean, obviously, there's lots of amazing on the field moments, um, and you know, it's hard to separate those. But in the end, um, whenever I get around Greg or Kevin, I spent some time with Rod and Carnell earlier this year coaching a, a college All Star game. More than the plays on the field, we talk about those meetings and those times in the meeting rooms, and to be with LeBron, Greg, Kevin, myself. And Marvin Lewis, um, you know, a lot of great football minds, a lot of great football players, you know, a lot of football success there. Uh, and just, you know, learning to play the game with those guys um, is probably my greatest Steeler memory. Is I learned to be a professional football player by being a Pittsburgh Steeler and by being coached by Marvin Lewis and sharing that room with LeVar Kirkland and Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green. That's how I learned to be a pro. And that's my probably my, my greatest feel of memory is, is that process and, and sharing it with those particular people. Yeah, you could you could definitely tell there is a bond there. I think reading the the message, seeing the picture, and reading the message that uh, you, Mr. Kirkland, sent on, on Facebook to the to the other members of the linebacking corps. I, you know, you can tell there's a strong bond there. Uh, that was that was pretty awesome to see to see the message that you wrote to them, but. Uh, uh, what's what's your thoughts on the current team, the current Steelers? Uh, let's see. You know, I, I think that that defense um, is pretty good. I think they got some guys on the outside that can rush. Uh, they seem to be flying around right now, and they're making some plays. 
I, I think Ben is definitely a plus for them to, for them to have a good trigger man like Ben. The receivers yeah. seem to be catching the ball well. I don't know if they're great at running the ball just yet, uh, but it's good to have Ben back. I just have to say, to be honest with you, man, I just don't think there was ever a better defense than what we had <laughs> on that field. I just, we were the complete team. Uh, I mean, there was not a weakness on that team. Uh, at one point in time, I think it was hard for guys to get 100 yards of rushing on us. And teams rushed the ball a whole lot back then. But the current team is a good team. They're a young team. They seem to be very energetic. Uh, you know, it's just going to be uh, a matter of time to see how it ends up, you know. And that's usually the telltale of what a team is going to be. But for right now, so far, so good. Uh, for me, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting uh, process watching Keith Butler and then grow as a defensive coordinator. I think he finally got you know, his uh, self uh, comfortable now in that role and kind of taking that defense that he learned from LeBeau and made it a bit of his own. Um, and now they've got the pieces in place. You know, guys like Bud Dupree and T.J. Waddle on the outside, clearly some you know very good pass rushers. You know, with the young guy uh, Bush in the middle there, you know, a guy to build that defense around. Hayward up front. You know, one of those, you know, stalwart defensive linemen you need in this style of defense. And then you've got a secondary who complements all those guys. So, from a defensive perspective, I think they have a chance to be really, really good. Obviously, the run game, I think, needs some consistency. But as Ben has, you know, come back these last, uh, these first two weeks of the season, he looks as if he's, you know, gotten some of that rust knocked off. I expect over the next couple of weeks him to really move his pass offense forward. Yeah. All right, guys, I am not going to take up any more of your time. God, I mean, I, I'm sorry I kept you listening this long, but uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. Thank you guys so much for agreeing to do this, taking time out of your schedule and do this. Uh, it's really appreciated. And, uh, guys, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, thank you for having us, man. And, guys, man, I'm going to tell you, man, you're one of my favorite guys in the whole <laughs> I was, I was really blessed to meet you. Uh, when we met, being so young and being able to grow up together, man, was just really a lot of fun. And and to see us grow up into our own, because eventually Kevin and Greg wasn't really there, and to see us kind of take over the mantle was really cool to see. But, man, I'm telling you, man, I love this guy. He's one of the best guys I've ever, 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 ever worked with. And... You know, I, I often think about him and, you know, just got a lot of love for him. Just want to let him know that. You don't get me all choked up over here, Big Cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you, there's, there's, the feeling goes goes both ways, you know, to to walk into that room and to immediately have a, a friend and an ally and someone who's, you know, working himself, trying just like me, trying to get better every day. We're, we're competing, but we're not competitors. We're each other's biggest cheerleader. It was a very unique relationship, um, one that I was never able to replicate in the rest of my years. Um, so for that, uh, you know, that this relationship that we have will always hold a, a special place in my heart. And I don't know if you guys remember that commercial a few years back. It was Troy Aikman, and he was, you know, walking into like a liquor store or something, and his phone went off, and it was the, the theme for Monday Night Football. And Troy said to the guy behind the desk, yeah, I live in the past. 
Some of my fondest <laughs> memories are living in the past. Yeah. Being in that Steeler locker room, sharing that field with you. It was special times. Uh, lucky enough to be with some very special guys. Uh, I will always cherish it. All right. All right, guys. Nice. Like I said, thank you all so much. And uh, uh, I, I really appreciate you doing this. Guys, that is LeVon Kirkland and Chad Brown on the final score. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you all.